All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to finish up our uh, December series. I'm talking about the good news, and today we're going to be looking at the freedom of good news. And so what I want us to do, um, since it's after Christmas, not quite the new year, kind of in that gap, you know, that awkward Sunday that falls between the two, um, is actually just kind of turn to the Word to, to kind of receive a charge from the Word that we can kind of glean on the past year, but also be prepared to look into the coming new year as well. And, and the hope in that is that we would analyze our life to see, are we truly trusting Jesus with everything? Have we been and kind of get a charge to do so? To be able to trust Jesus with everything we have, everything we are, and to be able to live in the freedom that grace affords, all to His glory. To do so, we must be open to looking at our lives and and to really give an honest reflection and to be able to answer two primary questions. The first... Have I truly trusted and surrendered to Jesus for salvation? And second, am I living for His glory above all else? The main idea is this. Now, James, sorry, I did not give you my paper, so uh, good luck. Um, Just thought about that. So we're going to see how this goes. But the main idea is this, that the Christian is free to live by God's grace and for God's glory because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. Now hopefully you've made it to Galatians 3. So if you will, let's stand. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. And I'll pray for our time together and we will dive in. Galatians chapter 3 starting in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we come to you in prayer, God, just asking you to bless the reading of your word. As we move to this portion of our worship service, God, we're asking that you would just speak to us through the working of your Holy Spirit. God, we know that you know every one of us that are gathered here today. God, you know what's going on in our lives. You know our situations. You know our needs. And we also know that your word is more than sufficient to meet that. And so we come trusting in your word, trusting in your goodness. Father, we ask that as we work through this text together, that we would honestly take a deep look into our 
hearts and our lives to see if we truly have surrendered to you and to see if we have truly given our lives to live for your glory above all else. And as we prepare to close out this year, Father, we ask that you would just find us faithful. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So again, the main idea, the Christian is free to live by God's grace and for his glory because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. As we begin in verse 10, the very first thing we see in these verses is the curse of the law. Verse 10 again, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. As we've said hundreds of times probably in the last eight years, Romans 3.23, Paul writing to the church at Rome says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And that's simply a result of the fall. We looked at that in week one of our Good News series. That when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they turned their back on God. They gave way to temptation. Sin entered into the world. And because of their sin, all have sinned. So as a means of grace, God then gives the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, the law, Um, back in the book of Exodus, so through Moses, he gives the people the Ten Commandments in order that they can see their sin and reflect on the goodness and leading of God so that they could understand how um, far they had drifted from his design. But man, as man does, perverts the good gifts of God. And they begin to add to the law. And they added to the law, and they added to the law, and they added to the law until they eventually had over 600 laws that they had to live by in order to be counted as righteous. Now, some of us in here are probably pretty good, and we probably think we might could handle that, right? But before you even get to, can I live up to 600 plus laws, you just start at the Ten Commandments, and you know how many of us make it past number one? None of us, right? And yet they had come up with over 600 that they had to live by in order to be counted as righteous in the eyes of God. But the law, not the coming Messiah, had become a sort of savior for them and a means of atonement. There was an entire system surrounding this and everything they leaned into and pressed into and stood on was the law and their abiding and atonement for it. So much so that come Matthew and the birth of Christ, they could not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They had become so blinded and so clouded by the law and by their life under the law, and what they perceived to be the coming Messiah, that they couldn't actually receive the coming Messiah. And so Paul, now writing to the Galatians, is reminding them of the heart of the message of God. If you remember, so for the last four weeks, we've been talking about the good news and looking at the good news as it traces through um, the redemptive story of Scripture. So all of Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, is all 
portraying one story, and it's the redemptive story of God saving his people. Right? So the entire scope of God's plan was to redeem his people so that he could be and would be glorified. And so now Paul is writing to the Galatians, reminding them of the heart of this message. That salvation ultimately is by faith alone. In other words, what he's saying to them is that the law doesn't and it cannot save anyone Because it is impossible for us not to fail, right? We're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. So in verse 10, he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So even like going off of their logic, he's pointing out to them, like your system is flawed and you can't do it. You can't do this on your own. No one who tries to seek self-atonement through the law can be atoned or forgiven of their sin. We're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. So he moves on to verse 11. He says, now it is evident that no one right, is justified before God, made right before God by the law. And he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, he says, For the righteous shall live by faith. So he's reminding them that it's not by our works or the abiding by the law that brings us salvation, that makes us right with God. It's simply surrendering to the fact that God and God alone can save. And so he reiterates what was written in Habakkuk 2.4, that the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is also what we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, when he's writing to the church at Rome, that the righteous shall live by faith, right? That's become kind of like the theme verse for the entire book of Romans, Paul's theological like database. It's also what kind of led for us to be able to be here today, that Martin Luther, this overzealous student of the law, crude individual was making his way um, along a passage in the middle of a lightning storm, falls on his face, and he pleads to God, if you save me, I will give my life to you. God saves him, and Martin Luther, unlike most of us, actually kept to his word, and he committed himself to the church. He became an Augustinian monk, and he began to study the word, but he was never satisfied with the teachings of the time. He saw Um, the corrupt nature of what was happening around. He saw the selling of indulgences that people could buy their way into heaven. Um, And and he saw the corrupt nature of that, that it was simply a fundraising effort to build a bigger church. And he just consistently was bound by his sin. So much that he knew that he could not confess his sin enough and he lived his life in terror. By God's grace, his overseer at the monastery actually encouraged him to continue to study the Word. And he found himself studying the book of Romans, and he come to Romans 1.17, where it says, The righteous shall live by faith. And that sparked what would be known as the Protestant Reformation. That we're not saved by works of the law. We're not saved by the things we do. We're simply saved by the work that Christ has done. And here's the reality, that we are all sinners 
and can't avoid sinning. Therefore, we are desperately in need of outside means to be justified. We can't save ourselves. It can only be based on the work of another. So Paul moves on, writing to the Galatians, verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. So Paul, again, reemphasizes that the law's demands are for perfection in order to be justified. So yes, we can be justified if we perfectly abide by the law, but because of sin, that is absolutely impossible. And a man's failure because of sin then leaves us accursed, hopeless. We can't save ourselves. No amount of church attendance, no amount of giving, no amount of serving, no amount of good deeds will appease the righteous wrath of God. Yet that's what we find a lot of in our culture. People who think, because that's how they've been taught, that if we just check enough boxes, if we just do a little more, then God would be pleased. But Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best we have to offer is not enough. Because it's marred by sin. No matter how good of a gift we can offer God or how much we can surrender and sacrifice to God, it is still marred by sin. We have only one hope. And that's not the motions of Christianity. Our hope is Jesus. Now, ultimately, what we give to the church and how we serve the church and how we live our lives should be a reflection of how good God has been to us. But that should only be happening after we have, as Scripture says, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That we have understood that it is God who has saved us and not ourselves. Because if we don't understand that, if we try to live the cultural standards, we just try to be a good old boy or a good old girl, then we'll wind up living a life of moralism if our moralistic tendencies are strong enough to actually help us live good. Most of us won't. Most of us will continue to live according to the world's standards and we will not live a life that reflects the glories of God. And so we'll continue to check boxes and we'll continue to make sure that it's good enough. All the while, we'll show up to church and we'll hear stories about the Israelites and the Pharisees and how they were bound by the law and they mocked Jesus and they mocked grace. And we'll continue to mock them because they missed the big picture. All the while, we're doing the very same thing. We're shackled by the law and moralism. But Paul is trying to urge the Galatians to remember that the gospel is not bound by that. That the gospel is only a message of hope and good news in Jesus. That his coming, that his death, that his resurrection has destroyed death and sin forever. And that our only hope for salvation rests in him and no one else. No items, no other people, no other things, no amount of service, no amount of giving, only in Christ. Jesus truly is our only hope. 
But the curse of the law makes us realize that we cannot save ourselves. Moving on, we see that only freedom can come in Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every one who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So as we said earlier, and as we've said many, many times, Romans 3.23 shows us that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul follows that up a few chapters later in Romans 6. With the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. In other words, because we are sinners, we are separated from a holy God and we deserve the just punishment for our sin. Now, the only way we can understand this is as we see how horrible our sin truly is. Now, again, cultural standards is to look at our lives and see shortcomings as simply shortcomings, but they're not all that bad. We don't see sin as a terrible thing. We just see it as imperfection. That doing things that would not honor God are not all that bad because we just don't really hold God in that high of a standard. But the reality is, is that everything that goes against the holiness of God destroys the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. Sin is sin, period. And we must understand that all sin going against the holiness of God is deserving of one ultimate punishment, and that's death. But notice what we see in verse 13. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By what? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus, the God-man, comes from heaven as the long-promised Messiah to bear sin's curse for his people by dying on Calvary's, Calvary's cross in our place for our sin. So according to the law, we're all cursed, right? Because of sin, we're all under a curse, separated from the holiness of God with no possibility on our own to make our way back to Him. So God comes, delivering a message of good news that will be for all the people. Remember that born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Christ the Messiah. And that Messiah would then live for three years serving His people and preaching the gospel of hope, of good news, that He is the Savior of the world. And that at the culmination of those three years that he would be murdered by the people who put the law on the pedestal instead of him. Only to be resurrected three days later bringing hope and salvation for his people. So the death of Christ secured salvation for his people. And it's including all nations. Fulfilling his covenant with Abraham so long ago. 
that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed. That God has truly been good to his people by providing a way of redemption, a way of hope, a way of salvation, if you will, a way back into the garden through Jesus. And it is by Jesus and Jesus' work alone that sinners are saved. We have quoted Ephesians 2. I wouldn't say every week of the last eight years, but it's pretty close to it, right? For by grace we have been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that none of us will boast. It is God's work and God's work alone that brings us salvation. Which is why, speaking of Martin Luther earlier in the Protestant Reformation, we wound up having what we know to be the five pillars of the Reformation. And two of those primary pillars are sola gratia and sola fide. By faith alone, by grace alone. Coming directly out of Ephesians 2. And because of that, we then know that Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, and so Christians then are free to live in the grace of God. Right? That doesn't give us a license to sin, but it it gives us the freedom of doubting if our labors are in vain. That we're free to live by faith since, as it said earlier, the righteous shall live by faith. Now think about it, right? Because there are a lot of Uh, statements and there are a lot of people who hold to beliefs that we can somehow lose our salvation or give our salvation up but how can that be so if it's not something that we earn to begin with and how horrible of a life is it to know that or I guess to not know that at the end of the day whether it was good enough or not isn't it so much more freeing to know that salvation my salvation was not purchased by me earned by me, that it was simply a free gift of God, a gift of grace. Now, you might say, yeah, but having that kind of mindset kind of leads you to just do whatever you want, right? Not so, because if I truly understand the depth of my sin and I understand the goodness of what God has done in destroying my sin and by sacrificing His Son in my place for my sin, then my life is a life lived in gratitude of the work of God. I'm forever changed. I'm a new creation. The old has passed and behold, a new has come. Now, does that mean I won't sin? No, I'll still fail. But I know whom I have believed and I know that he is able. And I also know that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. The work of Christ. And so my hope is, is that we will hear the message that Paul is delivering to the Galatians and we'll hear these other texts and we'll think about this past year and we'll actually ask ourselves, have I truly lived in the grace of God? Have I lived in such a way that I am so grateful for salvation in Christ That I've lived for the glory of God above all other things. Or maybe it'll make us look and listen and say, 
have I ever truly trusted in Jesus? Or am I living by the curse of the law? Trying to appease God, trying to abide so that hopefully in the end God will see that it was good enough. The righteous shall live by faith. But what is a life of faith? Upon surrender to and trusting in Jesus for salvation, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, our helper, and he helps us to live by faith. Look at the end of verse 14 again. All right, let's just read all of 14 again. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now you think about this, right? God creates all things. He upholds, he sustains all simply by the word of his power. Included in that creation is as the astronomers and such called the pale blue dot, Earth. And he puts people on this planet who turn from him and fall into sin. And God, being holy and righteous, had every right to just sweep away the chaff. But he sets forth a plan of redemption that he would ultimately send his son to come into the world to give his life to set us free from that bondage of sin. And he makes his people that promise and he then delivers that promise as Jesus is born. And Jesus lives and he works and he preaches and he does his ministry. And then his life is taken and then God gives it back. And at the end of his earthly life, after the resurrection, Jesus talking to his disciples, talking to his followers, they're probably thinking the best is truly yet to come. Everything that he had said would happen has happened. And, and now he's here and he's resurrected from death to life. And we're about to turn the world upside down. And so they're saying, all is right, let's do this. But Jesus says, I have to leave again. So you can imagine the, the kind of the turmoil within at that point to where they're probably questioning why. We're just now to the point, like everything has led to this. Now's the time for us to do this good work. So what does Jesus tell them? I've got to go because I've got to send someone better. And so not only does Jesus save us from our sin, he adopts us into his family, but then... He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live in each and every one of us who trust in Him. To lead us in holiness, to help us understand when we're not living up to God's standards so that we can learn to rest fully in the grace of God. He helps us to live this life of faith. 
But then we kind of ask ourselves this question, but how then do I live a life of faith? I'm just going to point out two simple ways. I say simple. They're, they're big ones, but just two, right? The first way to live a life by faith is simply by resting in the finished work of Jesus. That is to live under grace, not by works, not our own efforts, not trying to appease God by what we can do, not by trying to be the best we can be, but resting in the finished work of Christ. Now, if we're truly resting in the finished work of Christ, then we will live a different life. As Paul says earlier in Galatians, as I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who came and gave himself for me. Right? He's not the same person. Remember, Paul was basically, in our eyes, we would consider Paul a terrorist. He was doing everything within, within his power to destroy the church of Christ until he met Jesus. And then he becomes, outside of Jesus, the greatest missionary to ever live. That's what the gospel does. It completely changes people. And that Paul is now telling them that the righteous will live by faith. So how do we live a life by faith? First, we do so by resting in the finished work of Jesus, not our own efforts. And secondly, by having a fervent prayer life. To pray without ceasing. To spend ample amounts of time speaking and listening to the Lord. You might say, but how, how do we listen? That one's actually probably the easiest part, right? We just open our Bible and we read and we hear God speak to us through His Word. But what typically happens is our lives are not lives of faith. They're lives of busyness and overconsumption and work and family and hobbies and, and Christ simply gets shoved to the back. And we give him what little bit we have when we have it. We read our Bible when we have time for it. Or when we feel like it. Because our days are just so busy. right? But yet probably in those days we find plenty of time to watch television. Or catch the news. Or, or we don't spend any time in prayer because our minds are always moving on something else. Is that truly a life of faith? Is that truly a life resting in the work of Christ? I want to leave us... Check that. I want us to leave here today asking, have I truly trusted in Jesus? I mean, because... Like I said earlier, culturally, probably all of us have, right? I mean, we're here, <laughs> right? I mean, you're in church on a Sunday, and not the prettiest of days outside, you know, in a holiday season. So that says something, right? But are you living your life in such a way that you have fully rested in Christ? To where He is the object of your affection, to where He is the one that you can't wait to spend time with every day. To where He is the one demanding your attention. And not in a negative demand, but a good demand. 
Or have we just simply lost sight of the goodness of the Lord? As sad as it is to say, it's kind of easy to do nowadays, isn't it? We put so much emphasis on our family and our friends and our work and our hobbies and all of these other things that we just actually forget the one who gave us all of this. And we're neglecting such a great salvation. Have you ever just actually just stepped back and thought, like, why am I even here? What is my purpose? I mean, really thought about it, right? I mean, the details. Like, how everything came into existence and how I'm here. How our body functions, how our heart beats, how our brain knows to do what it does, how memories can be stored. That God would see fit enough to put not anyone here, but put you here. Have you ever just simply asked why? It's not just by accident, right? I mean, God doesn't do anything by accident. God doesn't do anything just because... It's going to happen. There's an ultimate purpose to every single thing that transpires. You remember Ephesians 2? Right? For by grace we have been saved through faith, but not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that none of us may boast. Well, verse 10 is pretty powerful too because it goes and it says, When we are his workmanship created by him for good works, which he has prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. So maybe you knew this, but if you didn't, I'm just going to spoil it for you. Your purpose is for his glory alone. And he can only receive the most glory from our lives if we are trusting and resting in him. So maybe today we realize, maybe I never trusted Jesus at all. Maybe I've just played a really, really good, clean game. And it'll work out. But only to realize now, hmm, maybe not so much. There's more to it. It's actually completely trusting Jesus with everything I am, with everything I have. Understanding the bigger picture. I want to leave us with this. This one will be up here, James. This is the charge. May we vigorously and honestly search our hearts, being sure that we've truly placed our faith and trust in Jesus, and then live by His grace and for His glory. I want to pray for us, and it's probably going to be a long prayer, But I want you to pray with me. I want us to pray for each other. I want us to pray for the church. And I want to pray for the new year. That as we get ready to enter into a new year, that it would be a year that can be defined in only one way. We gave everything for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father... We come now to just seek your face. 
to ask God that we would be receptive to your word. That we would not only hear the good news, God, but that it would take root into our lives. not oblivious to think that everyone here is truly trusted in you. I, I, I believe, God, that some of us have, but it's so easy culturally to be blinded by a false faith. And so, Father, I'm asking that you just reveal those truths to us. that we would truly surrender our lives to you. God, we ask you often that you would work through us as your church, but God, that can only happen if we trust you. So first and foremost, God, I'm asking that we would truly search our hearts. Have we truly surrendered to Jesus? Or are we still trying to do this thing on our own, with our own power, trying to attain salvation on our own merits? God, help us to see that that can't happen. That salvation only comes from you. Father, I want to pray for those who call New City home. That as we begin to move into a new year, God, that you will just reinvigorate us with the truth that you have saved us for a purpose. that purpose is to live by your grace and for your glory, declaring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. God, we pray for true revival. That hearts and lives would be radically changed by the good news of Jesus. That you would use us to make your name known. That we would have a love for each other that can only be explained by your love for us. And then it would overflow into love for our community as well. Would you use us for your glory? May you guide every step we take. May you receive honor and glory in every move we make. 
Father, you have set us apart. And you have allowed us to be here as New City Church. And our one desire for the entirety of our short existence has been to give you glory. And we pray that we continue to do that. That you keep the good news of our salvation fresh in our lives. That we never take for granted the time we have, the days that you have given. And we do ask that you would start here with a revival within our hearts. For those of us who truly trust in you, God, to just be reminded of your goodness. To prioritize our time with you. For those of us here today, God, that have never truly trusted in you, God, I pray that you just remove the blinders. And the possible pride that may be keeping us from taking that step out, saying that I've never truly trusted in you, God, I pray that all of those things would just be wiped away. So that we can honestly and boldly come before you and declare our faith and our trust in you. God, I pray that as revival begins to happen here, within these walls, that it will begin to spill out so that others would hear the good news of you and would come to faith as well. God, we give thanks for redemption and the possibility of it through the gift of Christ Jesus. And we pray now in these few moments that we not take that for granted but that we bask in the glory of our King. And that as our hearts are filled with the good news of Christ, that we be prepared to go to battle, carrying this good news to the very ends of the earth. Will you use us for your glory? Will you remind us of the good news of the gospel? Will you help us see our faith renewed? We ask all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.